Hi and welcome to episode 37 of Attention Please right here on the Talking Stuff Network. We are recording this on 21st April India time and I am Vikram Mohan. We have a very special episode today, one that is designed entirely by you. Yes, as promised, this is an inbox special and Arnab will be answering all your questions. But uh, for that to happen, we must have Arnab. So, let's get him in. Hey Arnab, let me start off with the first question right away. Okay. Lots of questions on Twitter about about your voting. I'm not going to ask you who you're going to, who you might have voted for, but let me ask you a factual question. If you had voted, what what's your constituency and uh, do you know who the major candidates are? So again, since I'm the first, I only voted once, uh, and that was well, I only voted once in a in a in a in the national elections so i think i voted multiple times in corporation elections and state elections and that was when mamata banerji was our candidate and i voted for mamata banerji that i can tell you because uh, in those days the other option was to vote for the cpm and i could not in so good conscience this kolkata city constituency yes it's 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 calcutta south okay uh it's calcutta south and that's where uh that's there's a and i do remember having voted for mamata banerji because it's just like there was no other way that you could vote and at that point of time mamata banerji was not uh, the mamata banerji that she is now she was uh, you know even even not just it was just that i will not vote for cpm it was also because we genuinely liked mamata banerji at that point of time it was a long time ago and uh, we and she was the only person at that point of time who who was taking on uh the cpm and jyoti basu headlong and she was not compromised like the rest of the congress she was she was genuinely genuinely in the fight uh again she at that point of time the possibility of her ever becoming the chief minister was so remote that nobody even thought whether she she was chief minister material or whether what her policies were nobody even thought about that anything that was not cpm was considered good enough for us so i voted for her i kind of regret now but you know in, in but then i also was a supporter of uh, mohammad azaruddin so hindsight is always 2020 uh but that was the only time i voted now coming back to you, you know it's it's too personal a question to ask who i would have voted for now but in general for me at least i always my personal philosophy for voting is it depends on what i am voting for so there is the corporation candidate there is the 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 local mla and then there is the mp and there are different reasons to vote for each of them so for your your municipal corporation candidate i think the most important thing is not really the political party that he adheres to it's is he visible is he approachable is he reachable and does has he done the basic things of or will he either has he done if he is the incumbent or has the incumbent not done the very basic things that are expected of him and there it doesn't really matter which party they belong to because you know they're not really in the business of making policy so you would be one of the very few who actually knows about the candidates i mean uh, including me i would say uh, i might have known the candidates of the top maybe two parties or three parties but uh, uh, from what i understand most of the voters they just go by the party they don't even know who the candidate is no the candidate was important i mean again it calcutta south was calcutta south was privileged in that respect is that we really had mamata banerji at that point of time who was happened to be the personality so we we got the personality as well as we got the party so if it was not mamata banerji and somebody else i think the present incumbent is a guy called shubhrato bokshi I don't think I would have been passionate about Shubhrato Bokshi. I don't even know who he is, other than the fact that he is the he is the current MP from my constituency. I think he, I think he's also on the ticket this time. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm reading out from uh, from uh, Wikipedia right now. Looks like he is not. Um, uh, so the AITC is Trinamool Congress, right? And the candidate is Mala Roy. I mean, I think almost half of them are women this time. From Congress, you've got Meeta Chakraborty. and cpi has nandini mukherjee and of course you've got brother you've got shiv sen also in your constituency and bsp yeah. i i i mean the, if there's any guy who expects from bengal to be voted on a shiv sen ticket 
my goodness that guy is the most optimistic person i've, I've ever seen i mean pradeep kumar mandal i mean this the, the guy who who i mean he's the guy who thinks that he can win even one vote in calcutta under a shift shena banner he's the guy who plays fantasy cricket and selects rinku singh and makes him the power player so he's that level <laughs> of optimist and i just don't know why i just don't get why shivshena you know essentially a marathi parochial right leaning party even has a candidate in bengal i just don't understand what the strategy is i mean why i have no idea i mean next what telugu desam party here i mean Tel- telangana rashtriya samiti <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to fight in 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 bengal but they do i i i i, I mean it's, it's it's a mystery to me but i think the question is again who who do i endorse who do i i think that's really the underlying question again it's it's very difficult for me yeah so it's again i have always i wouldn't say i've always there was a time when i was just virulently anti cpm and that was that happened because i used to live under the cpm and i've seen how they systematically dismantled the state so there was undoubtedly a lot of passion but more focused on the negative anyone who's not cpm so that was the only again i have said this before in my podcast there were some things about the cpm that i used to respect but the, but and but that's more in retrospect when i've seen the other people who have then come after them that i at least admired their at that point of time some sort of ideological purity that they had that they were equidistant from islamic fundamentalists as they were from hindu fundamentalists and that is no longer the case uh so in retrospect perhaps i feel that they were not that bad but then also you know distance in terms of time allows you to be nostalgic uh and that i that i also understand that the 90s went as great a time as i make it out to be also culturally so i i totally understand that but again as this time i i am more it's just that i don't find any political party right now in the sweet spot i know that i'll never agree with the stated political positions 100% of any political party it's impossible i think anybody who expects that doesn't understand how the democratic process works you're never supposed to agree 100% with the political party there always be some things about the political party which you do not agree with or which you strongly disagree with but you 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 vote based on uh the political party with whom you have the greatest intersection be you know the beliefs of the party not just the beliefs but the stated performance a common minimum program between a common minimum party. program between you and the political party that's really what so again the the, the problem the problem that we see today is that um just let's, let's talk about bjp so since i'm considered to be a bjp stooge it's very important that i make this clear is that i'm not uh wherever my wherever my support for the bjp has come out has been when that a intersection b the common minimum program has between me and the party has been more than it has been with other parties but of late and especially with sadvi pragya and you know they 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 are moving towards again that hard right place where i am uncomfortable personally i mean this is again that, a very that's person- a good point to bring up because the first question in fact uh, from kyato b on twitter was that uh, he wanted to know your take on sadvi pragya so so it's it's this gradual now i understand from so again i'm not a boy scout i also understand that the ultimate aim in just like in the corporate life your ultimate aim is to make profit in I mean, that's what capitalism tells you to do in politics your ultimate aim is to win elections so any party will do whatever it has in order to win elections so in bengal it it entails fielding uh movie stars i i find it funny i find it in i find it you know cheapening or lessening democracy in a way but i also realize that that's what if people if that's what people have to do in order to win votes that's just the name of the game so if people want to come and cast votes for mimi chakravarti just because she's a movie star all right well they deserve her as an mp then but with uh so where was i okay so but but with 
but with BJP this time, it's it's that they're I understand why they are doing this, because for an incumbent party running on optimism, unfortunately, doesn't work. Running on a very predominant development, we will do this platform doesn't work. It didn't work for Vajpayee. We saw what happened to the positive India shining, the sun is rising campaign. It was a disaster. And I think the BJP has learned from it. I don't know if it was the right lesson that it took from it, but at least the lesson they took from it was that when you have been incumbent, do not run on development. Do not run on a vague sense of optimism. That will never work. So what they're doing is they've taken a hard turn to the right. I don't think this is, and I, I, of course, the opponents of BJP will say, this is what BJP is. I don't think so, because there is no political party, except perhaps the Congress, which is defined by its slavish, uh, its its slavish, I, I can't even think of a proper English word which actually gives the punch here. But a slavishness, let's say, to the Gandhi dynasty, that's the only thing, that's the only fundamental philosophy it has. It's For me, it's repulsive. That's what repels me from the Congress party. It's not the people. I like many of the people there. I think that some of the people there are very good in terms of Indian politics. But it's just that basic thing about the party which absolutely repels me. The fact that your position is the in the party is a function of how you can debase yourself in front of this one family which is a cancer on India, has been a cancer on India since independence. I, I know I'm using a very strong word, but it is. That family, again, it's not their policies. It's not their ideologies. It's not many people who have called themselves congressmen. They are very, very good. It's just that one party and how, and many of these people, people like Narasimha Rao, they have recognized that fact. I read the biography of Narasimha Rao recently. And throughout his life, he himself tried multiple times to throw the Gandhis out of the Congress, and he couldn't. Even somebody like as powerful as him, who was the Prime Minister of India, couldn't. And I will, and I've said this again before, he was the best Prime Minister India ever had, given what he, what he inherited and where he took the country. Nobody else achieved as much as he did. And he was an imperfect Prime Minister by all means. But even then, what he did was unbelievable. And how and what Sonia Gandhi did to his him after he died was also unbelievable. We just supposed to show the kind of people that what actually drives Congressism. But let's let's keep them for aside. I mean, I let's look at BJP. So I don't think that this is fundamental to the BJP. The BJP always changes based on what they need to do in order to win an election. At one point of time, this was the duality that Advani and Vajpayee embraced. Vajpayee would go right, Vajpayee, uh, Advani would go hard right, Vajpayee would stay at the center. So the political party had two leaders who often talked in different tones at the same time. And this duality was really the essence of BJP, that BJP ultimately was a big tent party for those who were center and center of right. Again, also, I don't think that politically, ideologically in India, you can really talk about left and right because economically, everybody's left. So everybody believes in big government. Everybody believes that the solution to everything is government. So there is really no economic right. When Modi was running in 2014, there was some talk, at least from him, that you know he was going to change it. But I don't minimum think governance. Minimum, minimum government, gov- maximum governance. I don't think he changed that. And I don't think it's personally his fault too. The expectation that Indians have of the government is of a Maibab Sarkar. This is an enduring legacy of Nehruvism. And if you don't get on with this game, you will lose elections. There is the there's this way or the highway. So I in a way I understand all of that. So with BJP, that's my, you know, that's, I don't think that the BJP government's performance was very bad. It wasn't very good. It wasn't very bad either. It, I would give it B plus. Okay. That in, that itself would have been enough, I think, in this. And, and there's also the thing, there's also the, there is no alternative. That also is a factor. 
but I don't put that really high. I mean, ultimately, perhaps alternatives do come out. They may be imperfect and there may be a period of flux. But sometimes somebody will come up and Sachin Tendulkar leaves, there will be a Virat Kohli. When Virat Kohli leaves, there will be someone else. So there will be a period of flux, of course. But then, you know, equilibrium will be attained. And that's always happened. It's happened after Indira Gandhi. So I don't... Anything specific about the Sadhvi Pragya candidature though? So the Sathya Pragya candidature for me is is absolutely the, you know, it just reflects, it reflects how hard right the party has swung into a zone that personally, personally makes me uncomfortable. This is just in, like, if it was ever looking for my approbation, then this level of, and so let's talk about uh, Sathya Pragya. So first of all, Sathya Pragya, despite what people like to believe, is not been proven innocent. She's out on bail. Now people say, but even Rajiv, even Rahul Gandhi is, you know, he's out on bail in the National Herald case. Absolutely they are, but they're not comparable. You know, both are criminals, accused, they both might be criminals, let's say. But one is an economic crime and one is an act of terror. There is a distinction. Not all crimes are born equal. Okay. So let's not, there's no comparison between her and Rahul Gandhi. And I say this as somebody who personally distates Rahul Gandhi and their entire family, but they're not compared. The closest comparison that you can make with her is Kamal Nath. They are similar. Now, again, just because, just because Congress, and, and we know why Kamal Nath is the chief minister. The Kamal Nath is the chief minister because the only religion that the Congress believes in is... Uh, devotion towards the Gandhi family. And Kamal Nath has displayed that in a way that is legendary. So in a way, all his crimes have been, supposed crimes have been washed away by his bhakti towards the Gandhi family. Again, the point is the Gandhi family and the Congress culture should not be the justification or should not be the standard that other parties moving to the future aspire to. The logic cannot be that, oh, they did it, that's why we are doing it. That's a difference. People will say, but you wrote a tweet where you said the exact same thing. No, it was not this exact same thing. My problem is in the double standards. I've always said that, please apply uniform standards. I am, that's what I, you know, if you, my uniform standards are, I don't think that, I don't, I, well, let's look at my standards first, and then let's talk about double standards. So just like I feel, uh, my personal opinion is that the Sadhvi, there is a case against her, a very strong case. I understand she has not been convicted, but she has not been acquitted either. Now, case number one. So I give her the exact same, I mean, I, my feelings for her are exactly the same as my feelings would be for Afzal Guru. Okay. Afzal Guru was obviously convicted, but then there was this massive thing that he was innocent. See, that is where the inconsistency comes in. The same people who in Afzal Guru's case, where that the police are corrupt, the police beat him up, S.A.R. Gilani was innocent, the police snapped the case on him, they tortured him, terrible thing. In case of Sadhvi, they're absolutely willing to turn around and absolutely believe the state. In that case, they're absolutely willing to believe that Sadhvi Pragya was not tortured. As a matter of fact, there's a report, unbelievably, by the Human Rights Commission, which says Sadhvi Pragya was not tortured, even though it's so obvious that she has been. Just look at her face. Okay. She's, and again, you don't, common sense. In India, the police considered third degree to be the absolute valid form of investigation. I would not disbelieve. So, if you look at the people who were rounded up before Malagao, there were eight or nine Muslim young men who were rounded up. They were violently tortured. I'm not, that's what, that's where, that's where my single standard lies. I absolutely believe when they say that they were tortured. I don't disbelieve them. I know that's the way the Indian police operate. In the same way, I don't disbelieve Sadhvi when she says that, that she was tortured. I absolutely believe she was tortured too. I absolutely believe that, say, S.A.R. Gilani was tortured too. This has got nothing to do with it. They're innocent or, <laughs> but they were all tortured. That's a terrible fact of the Indian police system. However, we have a set of people and they're on both sides 
who were absolutely willing to say that those convicted Muslim men are all lying. They were not tortured or anything. But Sadhvi Pragya was definitely tortured by the exact same people. Yes, that I believe. And then there's the opposite, the, the scrolls and, the, and our media mavens who are absolutely willing to do the exact same thing, but with a swap. That they're absolutely willing to disbelieve the Sadhvi Pragya, but for the Muslim men, yeah, that's true. So for me, I go by my experiences, my own lived experiences of how the Indian system operates. So yes, the Indian system does operate, the Indian legal system does operate through third degree. It does operate to getting confessions through coercion and through violence. These things happen and they happen for, definitely happen for Muslim men. And they've definitely happened in the case of, of Sadhvi Pragya. Again, just because they're torturing them doesn't mean they're not innocent or that they're guilty. These are two totally different things. With respect to Sadhvi being filled as an MP, here is the here is the thing: the fact that she is being and this is this is the really the scary part of the whole thing. What is her appeal? So some people would say her appeal is that she's innocent. First of all, there is there is there is no objective evidence that she's innocent as of now. She could be, but there is no objective evidence. One another thing I, I had people saying, well, what about Modi? It's always about Modi. Let's take a case of firstly, Modi was acquitted. And secondly, was this is very important. Modi was investigated when the Congress government was at the center. And so that the, the CBI and all the instruments of the state were in the hands of the Congress and even they couldn't prove it. So that's what makes Modi case special, which again, you could say in case of Salvi, that's not exactly true. For the last five years, it's not been true. The party at the center has been ideologically aligned with her. So I will give the BJP the exact same, exact same rope that I give the Congress. That is my being unbiased. In the case of South Korea, as I said, personally, as a political strategy, it might work. Okay, it's definitely a good. It's definitely a good thing to sh throw it up against. Dig Vijay Singh. Dig Vijay Singh. He's a guy who thinks that 2611 was done by Hindu by 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 Hindu right wing terrorists. Okay, this guy is given a ticket by the Congress. There's no problem with that. Okay, so this is this is where the hypocrisy comes out. Okay, so people are saying, "Oh, Sadhvi Pragya has insulted Karkare. What about what about the guy who's running opposite her? Hasn't he insulted Karkare too?" So again. My problem is if you're if you're concerned about Hemant Karkade, I'm, I'm fine with that. That's very good. But then be concerned about him from both sides. If you are concerned about police torture, be concerned about it from both sides. If you think that the fact that Afzal Guru was tortured immediately makes him innocent by implication, then please apply the same standards to, to Sadhvi Pragya too. Remember, this is the fact that Afzal Guru, even after he was convicted. Even after he was convicted, Pai, he, people in JNU are still shouting that Ham Sharminda hai, Tere Katil Zinda hai. That is considered to be okay in freedom of speech. That a convicted terrorist has supporters in one of India's premier universities. And that is, you know, yeah, sure, but it's freedom of speech. But then what? But then I agree. It is freedom of speech. It's not something which you can criminally prosecute someone on. But unfortunately, when the exact same thing is done on the other side, and again, I, I'm holding both sides, I'm holding the feet of both sides to the fire on this, that there is an absolute lack of uniform standards that whenever my side does something, like you would normally find the left wing, you would normally find the scrolls of the world intensely critical of the Indian police force except in the case of Sadhvi Pragya, where they're absolutely 100% sanguine that what they have done is absolutely correct. Now, the moment, not only that, and that is what I found outrageous, is the Human Rights Commission has actually absolved the police force in her case, where it is so obvious, and she's so many times said it, that, again, you say, but she said it. Well, in that case, the, all the other terror accused who have come out, they've also only said it. I believe them because I know that that is the most likely thing to have happened to them because that's the way 
police here get get confessions by essentially beating them so this is not something which is unheard of but that's the thing that's why i trust i trust sathvi pragya and i think that it's shameful that the high human rights commission actually said that she was not tortured it just goes to show the people who populate these places and the sham that these human rights commissions and ngos are they are shams they don't really care for human rights they are there to support the agenda of one political party again that's why narendra modi has gone for them is it partisan absolutely true but because he knows that it is this this gang this this coterie that has that uses human rights which is a very very important thing as a cover for going after selective political targets so summing up with 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 her candidate no i am it makes me uncomfortable it personally makes me uncomfortable though i understand that this, for a lot of people it is not i understand that one of the problems that the bjp has to encounter as it comes to the people is that it has not been i mean the left wing could say that it has been terribly right wing and it is but for the bjp's core constituents they haven't been right wing enough the temple hasn't been built so It, the things that they essentially run on to their base none of them have been done so i can totally understand why this candidature is so important to them strategically i also know that my approbation and your approbation is not really what they're going for at this point of time they're going for boots on the ground they're going for the people who will vote for them so from a strategic point of view i totally understand i also understand the strategic point of view of why kamal nath is the chief minister I, i also get that i can also put my own morality on the side when and say yeah it makes sense but if you are on the if you want to take the high ground all i say is that you should be consistent and i will not spare and i don't i wish i did i don't spare any opportunity to not point that out not point out the double standards that people apply on both sides i'll say okay we were keeping with the election theme i'll uh, i'll give you two questions one of course i'm not really sure what this question means but aham shrini asks who's the alternative to modi and uh, there's another question from kanishka sharma which has just come in on twitter uh, which i i sort of agree with he he asks isn't the long drawn out multi stage election process somewhat of an excitement killer that's putting it mildly how long can people and politicians really keep up with the campaign shenanigans i mean it's like talking about this again the long drawn out ipl or <laughs> elections two months isn't it a bit too long well i again i feel that it's important i well okay so when i was growing up elections were all done together and there were always allegations of massive booth capturing and i mean it's still going on in bengal there's a lot of political violence people say this is mamata banerji but again as i've said before this is not mamata banerji this has always been the case mamata banerji it was a cpm thing before mamata banerji is basically appropriated the that whole structure it's like it's like trump tower she bought the building and put her name on it so uh, in order to prevent these kinds of things and given the fact that we have it's such a huge country and so many people and we don't have at we don't have the kind of resources like for instance the us has in terms of law enforcement we just don't so given that it is important that the elections be drawn out that we move our resources from one place to another because there is no way that on one day we have enough resources to reasonably manage something as huge as this and even even us with its with its much more advanced infrastructure cannot prevent things like the florida recount so even something like even even after that something like this happens here so i am perfectly fine with having an election drawing itself out because otherwise i just don't think it's feasible for a government to work out the logistics i mean we have so many people and there's again not just so many people which is there's so much potential for violence there is this high level of violence that's part of our daily lives and election is just it just takes it up another notch and in order for us to be confident because remember you know even if elections go peaceful that there are not bodies on the street 
they'll say that the EVM has been hacked. Okay, even though it's just virtually impossible, there's no there's no wireless interface to hack it, but they'll say it's been hacked. So it's essential for people that that's always going to be the case. But in order to have faith in our electoral system, in order for us to have faith that at least the process that was followed to bring these guys to the parliament has been legitimate. It is essential that it passes the sniff test. So as, and there's no way I believe that given India's population and given the propensity for violence that we will ever reach the stage where we can have a reasonable election within one day. We used to, but again, those were extremely violent elections and we, we never know what actually happened. <laughs> whether, whether the we used to have won. videos of booth capturing, right? We used to have videos of booth capturing. They were, I remember there was an Illustrated Weekly article which I read. There were people in Bihar who just went, seized the thing and just walked out. So again, these things don't happen anymore. And there's a reason for that because the elections are phased out. And, you know, we've had, uh, you know, TN Session really was the first person who was like this, was the first superstar <laughs> in the election commissioner who first started getting public attention to what the electoral process had become. And I think the process that he started, I think it really led to a massive, massive upgrade, I would say, much better in terms of how the elections are administered. I mean, again, this is not that it's perfect, but given the scale and given the amount of the propensity and the possibility for violence, I think it's it's remarkable that something like this happens uh, so seamlessly. Okay, uh, let's move on uh, slightly away from elections. But uh, I think I know the answer to this. You had tweeted about it. But uh, Sandeep asks, has Dr. Ray, I assume he's talking about your father, has Dr. Ray written about the Congress UBI scheme and its viability? And uh, what's his take? You did uh, tweet out an article uh, from him uh, a while ago, didn't you? Yes. Yes. And again, if you have questions, you can always ask my father. He can be reached at alokray15 at gmail.com. So if you have any questions for Dr. Ray, I presume, again, you're talking about my father, though. To be honest, I'm a Dr. Yeah, Ray. Both too. of you are Dr. Ray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that That I understand that you possibly talking about my father. But there was another answer I missed. So if not Modi, then who? Again, as I, as I said before, this, you can always ask this question and the easiest answer is that, well, there is no one. But as this happens when... In politics, it always happens that somebody will come up. There will be a time of flux. There will be a time where somebody like Devagora will become the prime minister. And that's regrettable, but it will happen. But ultimately, there will, someone will emerge. It never happens that everything, everything collapses. So it's right. Modi is right now. Uh, he is this single biggest personality in this election, that this election is ultimately being fought not so much against the BJP, but against Modi. It is for or pro-Modi. Even on the people on the street, the big BJP's biggest, biggest asset is Modi. That There are people who are saying on the street that, look, we support Modi. We don't care what's happened. We don't care who our MP is. Modi is a superstar. Whether you superstar superhero or a super villain super whatever it is but he is the guy who gets people out to vote the problem with lk advani was that nobody cared really for him either way and the thing with modi is and in and in this day and age where we see with donald trump anybody who gets people excited who yeah, that is the guy. Okay, that is the guy in politics. It's like Hillary Clinton. You just don't care either way. It's it's indifference is the really the biggest enemy of politics. It's not, it's it's not the hard left or the hard right. It's not partisanship. Partisanship is good. Indifference is bad. So with with Modi, that's the thing. He's he's again he's the party is strong right. It is a mandate on him. Whatever votes the BJP will get will be for Modi. It will not be per se traditionally for BJP. I think the traditional BJP has almost been wiped out with Sushma Swaraj also not contesting. I don't think that the BJP as those of us who started following politics in the 90s as we, we, we think of BJP exists. It is it take it has the trademark of the BJP. It has the Lotus, but inside it, it has fundamental. It has changed, I would say. 
so I don't think again, if not Modi, who Rahul Gandhi, well, you know he's he's will possibly be the most likely uh, alternative because I just don't feel that. I mean, the only reason why he could not be an alternative is if Queen Mother realizes that uh, this government, this current configuration of political parties that he has will only undermine uh, the prince's position. If she takes that kind of, you know, if she takes a long position on this, and she's known to take these long positions, then it could be another some kind of Congress cipher who will go up, essentially. But effectively, they will put a spin on it. Now, yes. let's say there's a situation where, of course, very likely situation that the BJP has very far fewer numbers than than it does, and of course you'll have all these independent third parties, uh, which will say, okay, you know what, we'll support you. But of course, to save face, they might say, okay, you know what, we need somebody other than Modi, so that yes. I can go back and justify it. So, if there's an alternative to Modi within the BJP, who would that be? Uh... I would say, as I said before, once I felt that the only alternative I felt the only alternative would have been Swaraj, because she would have been an alternative for the following reasons. First of all, she I don't I mean the old BJP old guard they might be power they might not really have a lot of power but they do have some backers. It's not that they're absolutely wiped out. I mean somebody like Sushma Swaraj would possibly bring back a, let's say a Satyagin Sinha back into the party would bring back Patna Sahib for instance. So. And as I said, her 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 avatar in the last her her visa mat avatar in the last four or five years is kind of she's only she's been the only person in the BJP who has not you know gone full partisan. But she was not like that one point of time. At one point of time, she had threatened to shave off her hair if Sonia Gandhi became the prime minister. I don't know if you recall. <laughs> yes, yes. So there was a time yeah, when she was in the visit. Exactly. So when I say so, when I say that the B, the BJP has always defined itself by this amorphous, you know, it's always amorphous. You never know who is hard right and who is not hard right because they change. So Sushma Swaraj now is not hard right. She is on the moderate face of the party. She wasn't that at one point of time. I absolutely remember that she wasn't that. She was considered to be among the right. She was at that point of time considered to be not. Sadhvi Pragya level, of course, because she had not been involved in anything like that. But she was definitely considered to be one of the, you know, the 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 the, the right wing voices of the party. And now she's, you know, now she's pretty. And as I said, her image, her the, her her, the way she's taken to social media. I think she has a. She's the only person other than Modi, who has a brand of her own. And I think that Mamata Banerjee would not and would would not have a problem with her at all. I I genuinely think that with Mamata Banerjee, she is multiple times as long as she's giving the railway ministry, um, she will ally with anyone. She is not really against the BJP. She is against Modi because Modi has gone after her castle. See, there has always been in Indian politics. There's always been an understanding that you don't come and you don't throw fire cat fireballs into my castle. You play around it. and i will play good with you so you put your party guy here he will make speeches but you realize this is my laga okay so make a little you know take a hammer take a nail try to chip away at my fortress that's fine you have to do it i have to pretend that i am opposed to you but let's but modi has come in with a battering ram he's come with a friggin army of urukai and they're trying to break in and this is this is bjp at its wildest in in bengal we've i don't think we've ever seen anything like this the full force of bjp never really cared for bengal for years and th- that was really what made uh, you know bjp so acceptable i remember mamata banerjee at one point of time was with the nda many people forget that for a long time oh, yeah. he was with the nda so again it was always that you have to understand that the, mamata banerjee is part of nda is one thing but bjp in bengal is something totally different because bjp is seen as a political party which is antithetical to the bengali identity we've been we've talked about this many times before you know that vegetarianism everything it kind of because of the the kind of politics of outsiders we we also in bengal we also have an outsider problem it's it's not as violent as it was in bombay or mumbai uh, but 
it, it is there. There is a resentment towards Marwaris. There's a resentment towards anybody who's not a Bengali because they are more prosperous than native Bengalis. So that it comes from wealth. And then it extends to the food they eat, to the way they behave, the fact that they celebrate uh, Diwali after Kali Puja. So it's, again, the kind of delta they have in the in the way they live that compares to the Bengali, that they don't eat fish. So all of that kind of comes into, and BJP is their party. So as long as that distinction was made, that Mamata Banerjee would be the franchise holder for the NDA, I think that is fine for her. What is not fine for her is the entire culture of BJP itself comes and becomes a force in Bengal. And that line has been crossed by Modi and Amit Shah, which is why she will, over her dead body, ally with them. She is one thing that one thing that I admire about Mamata Banerjee, which is also is that she's extremely passionate about her politics. Politics is very personal to her. It's a little, little different with Chandra Babu Naidu, I would say. So there is, it's it's a much more comes from the heart for uh, for Mamata Banerjee, and I think that's that's that was the really thing that I admired about her. It's still do to a little extent, is that she's a person who you know kind of carries things on her sleeve, and that's somewhat that's somewhat endearing. I don't think she's going to go, but but if Sushma Swaraj, I don't know if without Sushma Swaraj, who else? Uh, I think you brought up who did you bring up last time? Uh, Gadkari, Nitin Gadkari. So yeah, Gadkari has been trying. Okay, let's say. I mean, he's been making all these nice little things, which you know that you know we should not call people anti-national. So some something he said, uh, and then he of course backed up and said, no, 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 I was not criticizing the government, but he was. So I think he has put his hat in the ring as an alternative to Modi. But I just again, I don't feel that anybody will be passionate about Gadkari. He's just not a guy you can feel passionate about. He may be a decent like politician, but he is not going. You can't put Gadkari's face on a poster and expect people True. to come and vote. <laughs> okay, it's not going to happen. Sushma Swaraj, yes, you can. I would say you can actually, but Gadkari, no. So I just don't think. And Amit Shah realizes that Amit Shah will never be a headliner. He knows he can't be a headliner. He can be the controller, but he can't be a headliner. He can't put his face on the pop. He doesn't have the story to put on the. Modi has the story. So I just don't think there is, for the BJP, there is no alternative but Modi. In a way, the Modi has, Modi and Amit Shah have re-engineered the party in a way that there is no alternative. That is why all these guys, the Yashwan Sinhas and all are so pissed off because at one point of time, they thought that Mirat apna time aayega. And then they found there is no time. <laughs> uh, so that's why they're pissed into Satyagan Sinha and all these guys that, that the party has been taken away from them. So ultimately understand why they did it, but this will come and bite back if, if Modi is not able to. So this is a high stakes game. So Modi is basically thinking that I, I will bring a majority. I think they're not going to get the majority that they had last All time. or nothing. But it's an all or nothing game. And with with the Sadhvi being brought in, it is now an all or nothing game. I think there is no there is no moderation anymore. And you know this is the way we, the politics is, has, has, has gone and it's going in the US also. There is no moderation. Either there is, either there is the hard right of Trump or there is the extreme left of, you know, Elizabeth Warren and the middle guys, you know, the guys in the middle, Joe Biden, nobody cares for him. At one point of time, he was considered hey, Joe Biden. Who is, who is he? Why would we even vote for Joe Biden? So it's it's symptomatic of world politics everywhere that only the extremes count, the, 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 the centrifugal effort, effect. But everybody gets kind of the force hits, it, it makes you swing out radially to the side. Um, and, and and we are seeing that. But honestly, I don't see any alternative to Modi within the BJP. I believe that, of course, other political parties will come into play will, and there will be a period of flux. But I don't think it's inconceivable that a decent, you know, even somebody like Rahul Gandhi could ultimately, because ultimately if you realize that the way that BJP rules and the way that Gandhi family rules are very different. Gandhi family has a very unique leadership style. And... Rahul Gandhi is definitely not the Rahul Gandhi from two or three years ago. He has definitely stepped uh-huh. his game up. Whether he has stepped his game up or his uh, his teachers have finally broken through, I don't know. But he could be. He again, he's a guy who you can, and that's really the that's really why the Gandhi family is so 
important for the Congress because they're a family which has a story also. The thing is, Modi has a story and Gandhi family has a story and people vote based on emotion and nothing gets emotion out better than a story. That's really the reason why the Gandhi family has remained. That's really all the that the Congress party gets from the Gandhi family is the story. So I think Rahul will have a fairly decent story. He could, if he is properly supported and propped up, he could emerge as an alternative to Modi. I'm not, I'm not absolutely, but again, I don't know if Sonia Gandhi is going to let him at this point of time, if I don't think the Congress is going to be the single largest party. Um, but if it was, if it was in a position to be the dominant person, they will not know, they will not, I think she will be daft if she lets Rahul Gandhi lead a coalition where Congress isn't dominant. Because he just doesn't have the personality. He will be eaten for lunch by the others in the coalition. He will be eaten for lunch. So oh. I, 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 I'm, I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see how, because obviously we know that Mahagad Bandhan, it's like an episode of Indian Idol. All of them want to win, right? So all of them want to be the prime minister. So I just don't think that in a place where Rahul Gandhi will, will be in a battle of equals, Sonia Gandhi will even let him get into the ring. I think the only time that he will get into the ring is when Sonia Gandhi, when he is definitely has some kind of leverage and he is set up for success. He will never let Rahul Gandhi take a position where he's set up for failure, like Deva Gaura was or Chandrasekhar was. They, from the day one, they were set up for failure. I don't think she's going to let him walk into such a situation. All right. Now that we are done with the elections and politics, let's uh, take some uh, rather quick uh, look at other things. Of course, we can't ignore IPL. And uh, Pandit Lucknavi asks, Delhi Capitals, will they reach semifinals? And yes, uh, how long will Russ? I think Saurav Ganguly is... Of course, I'm a Bengali, I'm saying that. But you know, they're, they're a good team. They have been playing well, all of them. I think, I think the person who's been kind of been disappointing has been Rishabh Pant, actually. Yes. Uh, <laughs> among all of them. Uh, but, I mean, given what the kind of season he had last time. But I think they're, they're, they're looking so. very good. And I think the most important the, the most important thing about, about them is that it's Rabada, who's really their trump card. Because he's Amazing, coming yeah. and he's bowling... You know, he's been playing in the IPL for a few seasons now, and he's always I've always kind of looked up in as one of those guys who comes in, you know, basically dials in the performance and takes home his paycheck. I mean, I really love him as a bowler, but he's, I've never felt that he's really, you know, given it his all in uh, in IPL. And as we see it here, this might be have something to do with the management. So I think that he's being managed much better. Maybe he's fitter now than he was before. Maybe I mean. When you bowl at his pace, fitness is very important. But I just he just looks a very different bowler this time than he was last time. And I just don't I don't feel it's because he's changed as a bowler because I've seen him bowl like this when he's been playing for South Africa. But I think just that the team has been getting the management has been getting the best out of Ravada. And Delhi always had this problem with the bowling was so pathetic that no matter how many runs they scored, the other guy could always get more than them. And the, Amit Mishra was for most of the time their best bowler. And now I think that more than the batting, it's it's it's, it's Rabada who's who's really I think the star. It doesn't come out so much, but I think it's Rabada. If he has you know a bad day or two, you'll see that he will DC will lose immediately. Of course, uh, he goes on to ask, uh, how long will uh, Dre Rus keep bailing out Kolkata? Kolkata's not you know he's Kolkata's finished I think at this point of time. I just don't see Kolkata being able to turn it around. I. Uh, I mean, I would love I to think, but yeah, I think today's it's, uh, SRH versus Kolkata, if I'm not yeah, wrong. SRH versus Kolkata match. You can see, Kolkata has two matches remaining with Mumbai, which both of them which will little lose. Okay, it never wins against Mumbai, and uh, Mumbai Indian second season Netflix. This time, it will be more extended. There will be more episodes. They'll have to go to the finals. Okay, or no geo for you. <laughs> uh, so, I just don't think, and and this team. It was, again, as I said, it's overly dependent on one person. I mean, Russell is having the season of his life. I mean, every time I think he's injured, but then he somehow stands up and just hits. He's like, you know, he when he comes out to bat, I don't know if he's in para cricket, there's always this uncle who would come and he would like, he's old and fat and he can't move and he doesn't like to run, but he will just kind of bully his way into when the kids are playing and hit a few sixes just to show that he still has it and then walk away. 
So he's kind of like that. He just doesn't mean, I mean, again, Raz doesn't bowl as much as he used to, but nobody minds given the kind of innings he's consistently playing this season. But you cannot have, T20 is a game where the problem is Russ plays it at the very end. If Russ played it at the very beginning, then Kolkata might, I've seen seasons where, for instance, SRH, I think you know they went to finals based on David Warner. And you know, this one guy, but the fact is David Warner comes in at the first. So if some Russ can't bat in the beginning, but if somebody like Russ came in the beginning, like look at the last game. It was just that Russ just did he just ran out of balls. If 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 Mr. Robin Uttapa hadn't wasted those balls and had given even half of them to Russ, he would have won the game. Nian Kohli, he's last time he opened and uh but Russ can't open. See, the problem with Russ is he can't open. It's just not his natural role. His, his his role is to come in and I don't think if the ball swings even a little bit that you know you can play those shots. I think he 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 is he is at the right spot. But the problem is Yusuf Pathan who works. Yeah, he's a Yusuf Pathan who works. He's like many many classes above Yusuf Pathan in in that kind of I will swing. I mean, when he swings, his hitting zone is. Amazing. I mean, he plays cricket like he's playing baseball, actually. But the problem with KKR has been, you know, the pathetic Chris Lynn and the fact that Narayan has been worked out, I think, in terms of batting. I think it, it was two seasons. One season was too much for him. I think even last season, he had a lot of these very, very good innings at the front. I think Kolkata has always been a little problematic in the middle. It's been two years since Robbie Uthapa had a sharp decline in his form. And he's been coming in at two and three. And it's it's not the same Uthapa of 2012 and 2013. That's, you know, it's, it's natural. But I just feel that the Kolkata, you know, I don't see that it's going to be able to, I don't, I guess it has to win every game or I think he can lose another one or two games. But I just don't see other people standing up. And, you know, Karthik has been disappointing. Even more disappointing has been his bowling. His bowling has been shambolic throughout. Uh, batting has been okay, but bowling, Kolkata's biggest strength was his bowling. I think the bowling is, I mean, even before we ask of Chris Lynn, at least played one innings. It's time that, like, uh, one of its bowlers take three wickets in a game, which I don't think they have so far. We are taking a sharp swing into a, a totally different zone. So, okay. we've got uh, one of my namesake, Vikram, has written in. And uh, he seems to be a listener of both WhatsApp Geeks, our technology podcast and uh, attention place. So, he's asking, uh, uh, he asks, is two-factor authentication that you mentioned on Vogue, that's WhatsApp Geeks, enough? Uh, so, okay, first of all, about two-factor authentication. Uh, so, uh, to give you a little bit of context, in a couple of episodes back, Vinayak and I, we had recommended to all our, uh, or to all our listeners that they enable two-factor two authentication on pretty much all the services like mm-hmm. Gmail or Facebook, Twitter. So, uh, he is asking if that's enough or is there something beyond that that can be done? No, I think in terms of... Uh, it's better than nothing, right? So, I mean, two-factor authentication, for those of you who don't know, two-factor authentication, I mean, the, the basic concept is multi-factor authentication. It is something you know which is your password, mostly. Something that you have, which is your phone or your computer or your email account. And something that you are, which is could be biometric. So these are the three factors, normally considered the three factors of authentication. And two-factor means choosing any two of them. And so confirming, so your identity is basically a function of these three factors. And so if you can show any two of them, then we are reasonably confident that it's you. That's the basic principle of what multi-factor authentication is. Now, as an idea, it's, it's, it's very good. The problem with multi-factor authentication is, firstly, when you have biometrics, is the cost of biometrics. Uh, with On your iPhone, for instance, or on the phone, you, you're now using biometrics has become pretty standard. Uh, so again, I think that's, that's, but I think that's, that's not as big a problem as it was, let's say, five years ago. It's that the tech, the tech itself was, so flaky that you couldn't really trust it. But in terms of two-factor authentication is fairly, fairly secure. Again, if done properly, of course, there are there are bad ways of doing it. Like for instance, when you're uh when you're 
when anything comes through your text message, that is insecure, by the way. So if you implement two-factor authentication through sending a text message, that is insecure. So OTP is essentially... Yes. So if it goes to your Gmail, that's fine. Because if it's going through an HTTPS connection, it's fine. So uh, it's just the way it's implemented sometimes. Again, I'm not saying it's like drastically insecure, but you might have a false sense of, wow, I've, I have like bulletproof security. You don't. Um, but again, the problem with two-factor authentication, the problem of any authentication which has a password is the fact that you have to remember it. And that is the biggest problem is the human being, especially when you have password policies which expire and everything. So that's that's the thing. <laughs> exactly. So so that is really so the, the problem with human authentication isn't so much the technology now. It's that it, sometimes it is the technology because as you often find out so and so company was broken in and there was plain text passwords like what? Or I'm not sure if you were in the yeah we, we you did speak about it on on uh, Twitter about how Wipro got hacked. Yes, so you know these kinds of things. I I don't I don't know what what happened to Wipro per se, but I'm saying that it's sometimes your the the people who you entrust your passwords with might not be keeping them in in the right place, or you know they might not be taking proper precautions. And that happens, but in general, two-factor authentication is pretty secure if implemented correctly. But again, the problem is your password. That really becomes your password. And that is, no matter what you do, your password is the problem. Okay, so uh, of course, we, we can't let go without a uh, question uh, on this. So we have somebody called Bulla, and I'm <laughs> sorry for this, but <laughs> we, unfortunately we do. And uh, he asks... Uh, which would you prefer on a Saturday night? Devanand's latter movies or a Mithunda movie? See, Devanand's latter movies, I, I, I mean, I prefer Mithunda movies because Devanand's latter day movies, it was a little cruel to laugh at it because it was obviously being made by a guy who was not all there. And he had, had a great career, but he was not all there when he was making those movies. So yeah, we definitely laughed at them because they were ultimately works in the public domain. But I somehow, <laughs> it's not that I'm consistent with this, but I, I, I feel guilty uh, laughing at, at some of those movies nowadays, given that he's no more with us. But with Mitunda, I have no such problems. I mean, they were, they were crap movies made for people like us. And they're, they're was very, aware of it, right? Yeah, they're very self-aware. It so not, it's not, it's not, it's not and it is not to see somebody who thinks he's making art and then he makes this. And this, again, I laughed at it when he was being made, but now to feel a little embarrassed laughing at it, given that he's no longer there and saying, okay, well, he was a great actor, you know, he was he was a pioneer, and then he started making these, you know, really crappy movies. But Mitun Chakravarti and all these movies, these movies, I'm not the target. Those movies made money. Uh, those movies had a certain business model, which was, which was, I think, very fairly innovative. And at the end of the day, they're still intensely, in, intensely entertaining, and uh, they always are surprising, which is, which is what I like about it. Okay, and uh, finally, we've got one from uh, Mayuk Guha. Uh, he just sent me one on WhatsApp right now, and okay. a question for Arnab: Does Arnab listen to podcasts? If yes, any recommendations? Apart from so, WhatsApp, uh, WhatsApp geeks. <laughs> so I listen. I listen to podcasts based on topics. So I basically search for things. So I listen to a lot of. Uh, since you asked this, I'm horrible with. Like, hold on. Let me just give me two seconds to yes. pull up my uh, like the things that I subscribe to. I can give you the names. So what I like to listen to is uh, the partially examined life. Some of the episodes are good and some of the episodes are bad, but mostly when I say bad, I wouldn't say they're bad, but this is so partially examined life again uh, is a podcast. It's a fairly long running podcast on philosophy. So there are these three guys who were all graduate students in philosophy who try to simplify philosophy for laymen. And so they have a conversation and, you know, some of the episodes are very good. I, I believe. Uh, and some of the episodes are pretty bad because, uh, I mean, they're bad when, 
they don't bother to explain the source material. It happens because all three of them know it. They say beforehand that, you know, when we do this, we want to, we always think that the person who's listening to this has no idea of what we're talking about. And But unfortunately, and this is the strange thing is, I think their previous episodes, when they first started and when they were a little bit more rambling, were better. Nowadays, they are conscious of the fact and somehow I just feel it's not there. But again, there are, it's been going on for years. There are many episodes and I'm nitpicking, of course. They're, they're very awesome in general because they're talking about some of the most difficult things to talk about, really. Um, then I've listened to the first season of Serial. I think all of you should have. It's like one of the, it's one of the most popular podcasts ever. And uh, other than that, I listen to like some random things like Paul Security Weekly. This is like for, it's not like I listen to it, but if there is some episode which I believe that, oh, this is interesting, I this is something which I'm doing, then I might listen to it. Um, I sometimes listen to uh, financial podcasts because I want to understand something, let's say ETFs, you know, exchange-traded funds or something that I want to understand. But these are not like regular things that I listen to. Okay, uh, on that note, by the way, a quick uh, tip which we had even shared on, uh, it's not a tip, it's more of a news. Uh, so Google is working on this thing where uh, along with Google already indexes web pages and videos. So one of the things they are doing right now is, and they've announced it, is they're, they're going to start uh, indexing podcast content. So uh, basically by transcribing voice to text, which both Arnab and I know that it sucks currently, <laughs> at yeah. least for Indian uh, accents. But uh, hopefully, in the very soon, when you search for something, uh, you will be able to find not just uh, videos and uh, web pages. You you'll also find specific podcasts and directly to the time. So if you're searching, let's say for uh, podcast recommendations, you might get this episode at the exact time where Arnab uh, recommends you podcasts. Before we conclude, there was another question on Twitter, which is from Varun Gautam, which says, what if Indian politics doesn't have Indian National Congress after 2019? (laughs) The the, the answer to that is dream on, man, dream on. Uh, (laughs) That's not going to happen. That's never going to happen. And I think it should happen. No, no, I don't think it should happen. I think it's important. uh, It's important that there should never be a BJP Bharat. There should never be a Congressman Bharat. There should never be all political opinions have to be represented. It is essential in a functioning democracy that you cannot be mukt of any ideology. You cannot. You should not try to be mukt of any ideology as long as people organically believe. And they will believe. There will always be some people on the right, always be some people on the left, and always there will be some people who want to make money from politics. So they will always be there. So I don't think that it's even desirable. I don't want that to happen. I want all of them to be there. I want the left to be there. I want the right to be there. I want all of them to be there because it's very, very I want OAC to be there. Uh, I even want PDP to be there. I want all political opinions to be represented. I think it makes us stronger when all political opinions are represented in the spectrum. It's a terrible country. It's a country which is unstable where some political things are not represented because it doesn't mean that they don't exist. It means that they are being suppressed. Yeah, we've got elected communist government. I mean, how more amazing can it get? I mean, beautiful. And yes, we have a communist elected government, which, by the way, after being elected, did not try at any point of time to subvert the democracy. That has never happened in other places in the world. So even the communists who came to power in India were democratically elected, but they were, they understood or they were at least within that domain of democracy to know that, yeah, that part of communism we can't really implement in this country because that is not going to fly. Okay. On that positive note, uh, uh, is that a wrap for the yes, for today's is. episode? Thanks a lot, everybody, okay. for listening. Thanks for all the questions. And, uh, of course, uh, again, I'll give a shout-out to Arnab's uh, Patreon. That's patreon.com slash greatbong. So you can support him directly through that account. And, uh, like I said, we've got another podcast, WhatsApp Geeks. And the latest episode, which just came out a couple of days ago, I think it was episode 81. We have an interview with uh, Bharadwaj Rangan, national award winning uh, film critic. So make sure you listen to that. That We had a wonderful conversation with him about uh, depiction of technology in movies and the tech behind movies. And uh, 
lots of interesting things that's what's up geeks you'll find wow, it that's, uh, that's you'll the, find that's a, a very there. interesting topic i mean whenever i think of uh, tech behind movies i think of everything is planned or uh <laughs> Or or or, or 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 captain hacking into through Windows Media Player. Uh, you know what? Then, we spoke about that exact same thing about everything is planned. <laughs> everything. Yeah. Then ultimately, those are really the iconic references to technology in in popular culture. Unfortunately, including, for instance, in Independence Day, where the where the, <laughs> where the universe is saved by uploading a virus or two. And they're running the exact same kind of thing. So again, the exact same operating system. But coming back to, uh, I just wanted to, one thing before I forget, I want to thank you all for sending in your questions. And, Absolutely. And please send in more questions. I mean, we, when questions reach a certain critical mass, we will, we will do another episode like this. Yeah, in, in, in any case, we are doing inbox uh, every now and then so uh, so that they don't build up. So we've got that. And uh, anyway, thanks for listening. And uh, you can send in your questions, of course, on Twitter and uh, at ap podcast at talkingstuff.net. See you then. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.